Welcome to Wagon Wheel, the cricket podcast where I, Jared Kimber, answers your questions about cricket. Well, maybe not yours, but you get the general point. Someone's, someone's question. I answer questions. Uh, we generally take the questions from Patreon, and we've got quite a few questions on Patreon today. But also, if you are in the chat, you can ask anything, and you can also send a super chat, which I think... Noel already has. Uh, so we'll get we'll get to Noel's one in a moment, but I've got all the Patreon ones settled up here. But feel free to comment and ask, uh, subscribe, like, I don't know, do a dance, do all the, the various different things. Uh, actually, no, I'll answer Noel's first. Why don't we see triangular and quadrilateral series among major nations anymore? Does triangular test series make any sense? We've only had one of those, Noel. It's what started the ICC, so you could argue maybe we shouldn't have those again. Um, the, uh, so triangular and quadrilateral is, a, well, do you know what it was? It was essentially cricket trying to make leagues, right? Uh, it was cricket's version of what is now a T20 franchise league. The idea that you could have more games played over a short period of time and so that the audience wouldn't disappear if you didn't have a game for two or three days. Um, the problem with that being is that local audiences only really want to see the home team. And so that caused a big issue uh, when it came to how they were making their money back. It was also, um, you know, the, the financial side of it, how much it costs to bring out an international team uh, was quite high. Um, what else was the problem with it? Um, you weren't getting much from ticket sales. Time zones made it hard to sell the rights back. Generally, home fans, um, well, home TV companies are more likely to pay for home series than they are for away series. So you didn't make your money back that way. The only way to really make this work would be if you had England and India playing in in these these tournaments. And they just I just don't think we'd ever see them come back ever again. Uh, they they died because they were really not making money at the end, right? They didn't die; otherwise, they'd still be around. So I do think, um, uh, you know, I do think from that perspective that it. I I know they, I know well, especially to us who grew up with them. I'm assuming Noel. I'm just throwing you under the the the, uh, uh, the old man wagon here, but um, I don't know if there is an old man wagon, of course. But yeah, I do think in the old days it was uh, we grew up with them, and they were like mini World Cups, right? And they were great. Whereas now they have been replaced by franchise leagues, realistically. But even before they franchise leagues, they were disappearing because you know you couldn't always get the fans that excited, and people wouldn't turn up to the games and. Um, TV rights didn't sell for as much money, and it, it just didn't work. Uh, the the idea the World Cup works, bilaterals work to an, to a degree, although maybe not massively. But the actual um, system itself doesn't work as well uh, when you when you start to have a look at it from that perspective. But I can understand why people want them to come back, but they are certainly not coming back anytime soon. They might, you know, there might be a situation where I don't know. Australia, New Zealand, or India, Sri Lanka, or um, South Africa, Zimbabwe, you know, countries on similar time zones to each other could invite one team over and play a whole bunch of things together, especially before World Cups, which actually would be quite beneficial to both sides. But as it, as it currently stands, uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Then you'd have to share costs and everything. It would get a little bit nasty. Uh, but thank you for the super chat, Noel. All right. Uh, let's go into the Patreon questions. Remember, uh, patreon.com forward slash Jared Kimber is where you can support us. And if you do, you can ask a question beforehand like GD has. 
also on the talk spot. It's a bad question to start with also. But Manners was comparing Rayhan to Cool Deep. He said they have similar speeds. Cool Deep probably puts more ribs on the ball. Um, uh, but Cool Deep, six foot five, is closer to six feet than Rayhan's five foot eight. Oh, could he mean that Cool Deep has a higher release point? Um, I was, I didn't listen to that. I mean, I don't remember being on air for that. I would have said that Cool Deep would have a lower release point than Rayhan, just because Rayhan has an unusually high one. I don't know if you saw Himanesh's tweet um, uh, about it, but it, essentially Rayhan's balls, instead of drifting in, sometimes drift away when he puts leg spin on them because he's coming over the perpendicular a little bit. So he's very, very different from from that kind of uh, point of view to someone like Cool Deep is more of a traditional wrist spinner whose arm drops a little bit lower. Um, but he might have just got the two of them confused. My memory, though, is Cool Deep's quite a bit quicker than Rayhan, like three or four. Uh, it might not sound like a lot, but three or four miles sort of consistently quicker. Um, the one thing that they both managed to do is they both – I'm very good at running the ball on the ground occasionally, uh, which I do like. Um, but yeah, uh, what are the chances of Alex Lee's or Keaton Jennings coming in from the Lions squad if Root's fingers worsens or Besto is rested? I think Lawrence will come in for Besto. Keaton Jennings, I, I look up. I like Keaton Jennings and I like him playing in Asia, so it's a possibility. But I, I haven't heard anything about it. I'd only be speculating. Uh, GD says finally made it to talk about YouTube this test. Remember, we, uh, you know, I work for a radio station in, in the UK, but it's also up on YouTube, so many people can um, do it. Uh, and I did interview Bumble this week as well. Um, uh, that'll probably be released as a podcast at one stage. I don't know if I'll get access to it to chuck it up on mine, but they might let me do it. Um, also heard Safra saying, uh, you have worked too hard. It will happen after Jaisal refused the double. Both of them played for Mumbai, and after the first inning, Safra has admitted he keeps talking through a lot of his innings, part of his protest. Anyone else who comes to mind who was like him, chatting, nervous, talking constantly while building his innings? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of players who love to chat. Some like the kind of confrontational chat, like Mike Atherton and Steve Waugh probably come to mind. Um, there are some players who just like to talk. Uh, David Warner is a one who have a look he's just kind of always in conversations with the umpires with the opposition with with his own teammates um it's a personality thing sometimes you see players really really talkative when they first come out and then after a while it kind of dies down a little bit uh the sufferers thing was hilarious because he was really really full on with Jaisal and you could tell you would only do that if you were friends with someone and so we we all thought it was quite funny um you know uh, watching on and also he didn't do anything wrong he just well Okay, he did do something. Joyce, well, he's being a bit dodgy. He was trying to um, uh, steal the strike a little bit more. But I like, you know, I mean, I'm not against that. But yeah, there certainly there are batters who who like that. It's the way that you work out probably your first 20 balls and then the innings after that are usually slightly different. So I would say there are probably players who don't talk much in the first 20 balls who probably do afterwards and then vice versa. Um, but yeah, you certainly get it. Have a look. If you ever see a batter at the non-striker's end, constantly talking to the umpire. It's not because they're friends. I'm not not saying that they're not friendly in some cases, but it generally is just because that is how they relax when they're out in the middle. Thank you for your questions. Richard says, I've seen people praising Rohit's captaincy in this match, but what were some tactics he used that stood out as particularly smart or clever? Yeah, it's funny that you win a game and suddenly you're a better captain. I think he should have told his batters to make 850 runs or whatever they made um, in the first two tests as well. Uh, yeah. This is kind of why, I, you know, I try not to get sucked in too much on that kind of conversation. Um, I think he left Cool Deep on in the first innings when England were going after him. 
when it probably made more sense to bring him out, which allowed Cool Deep to realize that England weren't going to be able to hit him out of the attack, or unless they went absolutely nuts. So I thought that was quite handy. Um, he kept sticking with his seam bowlers um, early on, even though I think a lot of us are like, why not just go to spin? Um, which again, I think is, uh, you know, a sign of like, he probably needs to be quicker to make the changes at times early on, but he's backing the guys that are in the, in the squad to do that job. That annoys some people because they're like, I oh, just put the spinners on. And I get that, but I also get the other side of it, which is he doesn't want to ruin Siraj, right? And so, or, or, or Mukesh or whoever it may be, because he might need them later on. So there is a confidence thing, but I don't remember anything. I mean, let's have a look at the wickets. The Boomer to Root is probably just Boomer's, um, you know, holdover Root. Uh, Stokes was going with the spin against left arm finger spinner. Uh, ben Folks was done by a bowler and made it probably an error with his shot. Ben Duckett got a half tracker, hit it straight to field. Those are the key wickets, I would have said, that that allowed England to end up with a big deficit. So none of those were from Rohit's genius, right? Um, second innings, a little bit of conditions, a little bit that his bowlers bowled better um, and that England were tired and you know kind of broken by that point. Um, so again, I don't remember seeing anything and going, oh, you know, Rohit's done anything great. They won. And it's funny how you look like a better captain when you win, uh, especially when you win big. Richard says, what are some of your, what are some of your favorite Dhoni captaincy decisions? A lot of people point to the eight one fields and neck four. Um, uh, but I remember people constantly complaining about him being defensive the most. I certainly remember the eight one fields and neck four. Um, that's a good question in test cricket of what I liked about Dhoni. He, I, I've said before, he was incredibly pragmatic. His ability to understand how to hold a game. I thought was very, very interesting. His ability to understand that a player may not be a world beater, but in a specific skill or talent might be very, very useful. Um, I always thought was exceptional. So I've forgotten his name. Uh, someone will remember in the comments, but the, the Chennai Seema who he used in, um, uh, in the first World Cup, who was just, you know, an average player, but in certain situations was a really, really handy player. And I know that from talking to the overseas players, that was something that they liked. I, I love the way he, I mean, the same people who don't like um, uh, matchups are like, well, you know that Dhoni did matchups like every day. The only difference between Dhoni and someone else is he wasn't using a spirit sheet. But I, I loved his use of matchups um, just because he went with logical sound cricket decisions consistently. And then occasionally would factor in things like the boundary and and, and other parts of it. Um, so yeah, I, I think those are the ones that come to mind. Anyway, um, trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, I mean, I think he was probably one of the first see, uh, first captains to really back leg slip for seam bowlers. And if you have a look now, it's actually really really common. As much as leg slip for a seam bowler can ever be common, um, but I remember Donny just seeing in techniques. Because it had gone away. If you look at cricket from probably up until the late 80s, leg slip was not a common position, but certainly a position that you saw. And Dhoni sort of brought that back as if to say the batters, yeah, if he, he might straight to straight. But if you get this off the face of your bat, there's a fair, fair chance you're just going to pick up the, pick out this fielder here. I thought that was one that he was very good at. Oh, never done that one. 
Sorry, everyone, if you're watching on YouTube and I'm giving you a headache. Will says, do you think moving away from the three spinners was a mistake for England? Seemed like having to give Hartley and Ahmed longer spells made it easier for the Indians to get on top of them. Um, the mistake is having Jack Leach, if we're being honest, Will. Um, no, because I thought, I mean, Wood gave them a chance of winning that test really, really early on. Anderson uh, bowled exceptionally at times and kept the pressure on India. Um Hartley and Ahmed, who would the third spinner have been? Bashir? Still would have struggled just as much as the other two would have. I don't think the length of the spells would have changed that all that much, Will. Um, I, I think this was, what you're really seeing, Will, is that this was a slightly better batting surface than probably the first two tests. Get another great cricket wicket, but just a slightly better batting surface. And because of that, you certainly had a situation where the bowlers who were not rounded experienced you know veterans just struggled a little bit more with that so i do think that was probably the bigger issue here if we're being honest nadika says would prasanna jay warden have played test cricket if he had been born in a center country we're keeping to spinners isn't as important and how would he have compared to the great specialist wiki keepers of yesteryear uh well the first thing to say then nadika is that ben folks is playing so yes um i do think prasanna would have would have been pretty handy uh Maybe not as a specialist, or not as regular, I should say, in the 11, but he still would have played. Of course, he'd grown up in the center countries. He wouldn't have had his skills to begin with because he needed to be in a place where the ball was ragging sideways. Um, how would he have compared to the great specialist wicketkeepers? When, so I did a piece ages ago. It's called Point Fielders with, Glove, with Gloves On. I think that's what it's called. About how much wicketkeeping has changed and you know how we now pick people who are batters first and wicketkeepers second. Uh, how that happened, when that happened, and everything else. When I talked to Wikikeepers, he was the one, and this is before Ben Folks had really broken through, but Prasanna J. Wunder was really the one that they all pointed to of being at the same level as Jack Russell and Bob Taylor and Alan Knott and you know, Willie Grout and all those sorts of ones. Like this is, And this is old keepers talking about keepers. So, you know, some of them were looking at YouTube highlights and all sorts of things and you know, remembering past players, they were really, he really came up very highly. So I think we did a podcast recently on Crick Picks and he's quite high up in that. Um, and that is with someone that we know that wasn't as good a batter for his era as others. So I definitely think he was an exceptional player. Uh, let's take a quick break here. And then after the break, uh, we will come back with more of Wagon Wheel with Jared Kimber. Yeah, here we go. Raju says, should teams lose a DRS review when they appeal for a court behind and there is actually a nick but from the forearm or thigh pad? You can retain an LBW review when it's umpire's call for hitting in line of the stumps but not similar ability to, for a catch review. It's a really interesting one, this. And I've worked with teams before and they asked me about, you know, DRS theories. And I always say, why are you DRSing court behinds? Um, unless you're absolutely positive it came off the bat, like, I just don't see the reason because you lose your reviews far more. As with LBWs, if you've put, gone through all the processes, you've got someone square of the wicket to have a look at, you've got mid-off or mid-on telling you about, you know, where the batter was and the wicket keepers talking about the line, I think you have a really good chance of um, of working out if an LBW, at least in your ability to retain one. Whereas caught behind, kind of like, there was one in this last test where everyone was absolutely convinced and I remember when it happened, I was like, but the batter's bat hit the ground. 
Like, you can't be convinced that that's an edge. And then there was another one when uh, Rehan Ahmed went out to... No, Cool Deep went out to Rehan Ahmed, maybe? And he was caught at slip. And Rayan, and Cool Deep hit the ground. Um, and even he wasn't sure if he did shit to slip, right? Um, I get your point, Roger. I don't know 100% if, if I'd followed that. But your, your general point is correct, that it doesn't really make sense that one kind of review can come back to you and the other one can't. You can be within a millimeter of being correct with a court behind and maybe the bat handle breaks. I don't think that's the team, you know, the ball's that close to the bat and the bat handle makes a, a clicking sound and another LBW, you get back to you and you're much further from being correct. So I do understand what you're saying. Addy says, hi, Jared. I just noted that LSG gave a three crawl package to Shamar Joseph. Do you know anything about the rules size of things here for a player to join the team outside of auction for a price higher than his base set, let alone the maximum allowed? I am very happy for him, but it seems like this rule can easily be abused. Found nothing online. It's essentially, I think you can replace a player with a contract if another player had that contract and gives it up. So I, I want to say Mark Wood, but I'm not sure. I think there was another scene bowler that they had, Addy, and that money was then available. So that money then has to be spent. So I know some players who've got very, very good contracts as backups for people. You don't always get the full amount because you might come on halfway through the season or you may not be that level of player. Um, but uh, that money is available under the salary cap to spend if you want to. Uh, I would assume in this situation uh, what uh, what would have happened is that there might have been a couple of teams with vacancies for for Shamar Joseph and that he's that because of that they had to use as much of that um, allotment as possible but I'm only speculating but that's it's all about injuries and, and how that salary gap actually works um, so I don't think there was anything weird I, I didn't think that was weird that this happened Force says Bayram also mentioned that some of his 100 have less value compared to Root or Coley Kane bats at 3 in his recent turns oh I, can't, I do think there is another question from Forth here where is he Ah, right, here we go. Recently mentioned that Kane is the weaker of the Fab Four. However, his away record is only behind Smith. Kane Williamson averages... Uh, where are we? 42 away from home and 68 neutral. So whatever that comes out to in the wash between those two. Uh, but when you look at his record away from home, he averages 42 in Australia, which is quite good. 30 in England, 33 in India, 21 in South Africa, 26 in, in Sri Lanka. He averages 55 in Bangladesh, 138 in Pakistan, 64 in the UAE, 51 in the West Indies, and 97 in Zimbabwe, right? This is why overall averages, and even splits in this case, because you are going at least home and away when you're talking about it, don't tell us everything about the, the player, right? Uh, it tells us a lot, and we could certainly get some information, but I would never look at... Oh, you've got some of those averages here. Sorry, I'm just having a look at them. Um, we, When we are looking at the players, we are also looking at how they go against the best teams. Kane Williamson against a poor team is almost impossible to dismiss, as this South African team just showed recently, right? But Kane Williamson overall, uh, you know, the, the, the four teams... The four teams that are the best bowling attacks that he's had to go up against are Australia, England, India, and South Africa in his career, right? Against Australia, he averages about low 40s against both. I think that's fine. Um, 
But it's not as fine when you think about the fact he averages 37 against England and 38 against India, and he averages 62 against South Africa. But that 62 against South Africa is, let me just find this. Oh, of course, it's not going to come up for me straight away. That 62 against South Africa, when you split it up by home and away, is 85 against South Africa at home and 21 away, right? What we're looking for is players' records um, everywhere else. Um, so, so from that perspective, uh, you know, you do get to you do get to a, a certain point where um, what we are doing here for is nitpicking, right? Because he's great. That's what happens, especially in the case of the Fab Four, because there are four players who are great. They're all roughly the same age. They all came up together. We all learn about them at the same time, you know. And we have a situation here where you're nitpicking, right? And you're going to look at it from certain points. I promise you, we have, I can't go through all the information here, but for the book that me and um, uh, Cheyenne are writing at the moment, we have gone out of our way to try and be fair to Kane Williamson and his record just doesn't stack up, right? And and to be fair, you know, root the, you know, he might have three great years and he might make runs against everyone else. And as you know, you said um, he's played a combined total of seven matches away against them in 10 years against some of these things. I understand that. But he doesn't have a great record against the three best attacks that he that he needs to um, dominate. And he doesn't have a great record when he goes to South Africa. That means the four best attacks that he goes up against, there are question marks against all four. I, I don't know what more we could do in a situation like that for. Like, it, it, it's true. It doesn't mean he's not a great player. It just means that when you get to the very top, you're being, you know, we're comparing his record to Sachin's record, right? And we're comparing his record to Brian Lara's record. We're comparing his record to Len Hutton's record. You know, Wally Hammond, right? Jack Hobbs. You, know, you go through it. There's a lot of great batters. And you, you have to, you go through and you're looking for all, you know, clues and, and, and everything else. Kane also playing in those smaller series away from home means he doesn't have to go through a situation where batters work him out. Right, but the other side of that is when he's on top of a batting lineup, he doesn't get to cash in the way that other uh, great batters do. There's so many things that worth looking at, but yeah, I don't think I'd have him. I think I'd have him as the fourth best of the of the Test players. Not to say that aesthetically I don't like him or that he's not a fantastic player in as a captain. He's done some really interesting things in limited overs cricket, and he's brought New Zealand together and everything else. But if you're talking purely Test batting, I think he has more holes in his record than the other three players do. If we're being honest. I think that was you. Yep. Christopher says, you can pick a current World eleven excluding India players to play against India in India. What's the side and how would they fare? Pitches are similar to what's been in this series. That, that would be interesting. Um, well, there's no openers in the world, are there? So it would be Usman. Um, who's your second opener? It's probably Duckett at the moment, isn't it? Usman and Duckett for India. Makes most sense. Uh, my, my issue would be the bowlers. Who are the best spin bowlers that you, I mean, you'd almost have to hope Rashid Khan made himself available for this. And my memory is he didn't bowl particularly well against India in India. Um, if I remember uh, when he did play, where we go versus India. Yeah, he didn't take many wickets in that game. Um, it's not ideal, is it? I suppose you take Lyon. Who would your second spinner be? Lion and Maharaj, perhaps slightly different kinds of finger spinners as well. Um, and then your seam bowlers. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's a great team out there to beat them. And I suppose you could go back sort of historically, 
that might be the same case with the West Indies and Australia in their home conditions as well. Um, it's a really hard question to do off the top of my head, Christopher, but you, there's no way you can match their spin bowling. You can get really good seam. Can you beat their seam? Right at the moment, who's the best all-rounder to give you more flexibility in your side like than Jadeja? I don't know if Jason Holder's technically playing test cricket anymore. Um, ben Stokes doesn't bowl. Shakib, perhaps? Um, I haven't looked at his test numbers um, for a while. Um, yeah, so they've, they're so well set up to what they... I mean, they're well set up when they travel as well. They're so well set up in those conditions. Um, Ian says, Shortbrook was the English Courtney Walsh. Is that too simplistic? Neither is it regarded as the country's best bowler and playbook were generally accepted more illustrious partners. Both manage incredible longevity and seem to be more wily as they age. I think Walsh is better um, just because he didn't get, you know, a huge amount of access to England seeming wickets and so probably still averages around 24. I don't know what Broad's final average um, went with. And Walsh was brilliant away from home. Is, is my memory anyway. I'd have to have a look at that. But I think his numbers, you know, more than held up away from home. I get your overall point in that, you know, uh, having the, the better partner at the other end, um, not very rarely being thought of as the sexy one, uh, but, but being a very smart bowler. Um, so at home, Walsh was averaging 24 and away he was averaging 25, which is just ridiculous. He, uh, his away record um, is... I, th- I want to say Asia is somewhere he was brilliant, but maybe it was just one country in Asia. Uh, let me just have a look here. In Asia, yeah, Courtney Walsh, 17 matches, 77 wickets at 20.5 in Asia. Stuart Broad ain't doing that. <laughs> That's probably the difference overall with their average, right? You know, Stuart Broad was, I just don't, I think what Courtney Walsh did was, that's the best way of putting it, so repeatable everywhere in the world. Whereas I think, Stuart Broad had to kind of keep coming up with ways to make himself useful in different situations. And I think he did that really well, but Courtney Walsh shouldn't have to do that. You know, Courtney Walsh probably had a um, wobble ball um, and was certainly the kind of bowler who could just come in, r- run in and, and, and jag it away. Uh, sorry, jag it back in and occasionally get one to nip away a little bit. Um, uh, much more durable, the ability to bowl, I would assume, more overs per game. Then Stuart Broad, uh, you know, one of the great athletes we've ever had play. Uh, and and I mean that in a sort of the Jimmy Anderson way of just, but like Jimmy Anderson, but bowling, I think we did this recently and I got it wrong. Someone said, I think I said Jimmy Anderson bowled 35,000 balls and they said it was 70,000, but I was trying to do the math as I was quickly reading. But, and Walsh has 100,000 balls. I think I've got those numbers right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't think it's a bad take. Um, Ian, but I think there's enough dif- differences between the two for sure. Oh, I didn't want that. That's, that's just random stuff that I accidentally sent to Booker by the look of it. Not, nothing that's wrong with it being um, published, but just stuff that need to be on the show. James says, in the 90s, it seemed like there was a constant stream of news coming out of the Australian Cricket Academy, now Centre of Excellence, about some exciting new talent or coaching method. I've heard so little from them since uh, then that I've actually started to check if it was still in operation. Am I just not noticing the stories or are they flying under the radar? I think at that stage, it was like a hotbed of cricket conversation, right? And Rod Marsh was certainly, you know, Rod Marsh, Richard Doan, um, the sports science part of it, 
they were just so far ahead of other people in the way they were thinking. Bob Warren was probably the other one, right? And those were the two groups that were really helping things move forward. And I think now that lots of teams have analysts and think about things differently. And, you know, England has sports science and India uses sports science. And there's some great analysts who work, you know, across the smaller nations as well. And your coaches think about cricket a little bit differently and they take things and things probably move a little bit quicker than they used to as well. So I think it's it's obviously still there. It's a very different organization than it probably used to be. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely think it still exists. But it's you're right, it's probably not the forefront of cricket thinking the way it had been in previous generations. And that's just because cricket is thinking, you know, franchise leagues. These players are talking to each other. If you want to know the best thoughts on cricket, it's probably the WhatsApp groups that some of the star players have with each other, right? I mean, the West Indies team, you know, they would go back to Trinidad and, you know, one of them would have a party or a barbecue or something. Um, and the conversation at those, from what I've been told, the conversation at those events was just epic, right? And they were moving cricket forward at that point. So those conversations are happening in far more places now than we've ever seen before. Um, I, I know that I said things at when I was with St. Lucia, like sort of casual things that I thought everyone in T20 knew. And you suddenly saw some of the senior players being like, oh, I'd heard of this before. And it just, then they go off and tell their friends. So I think it just sort of happens in, you know, um, much differently than it used to before. Uh, let's take a quick break. After the break, we'll be back with more questions here on Wagon Wheel with Jared Kimber. Welcome back to the Wagon Wheel. Jared Kimber here. And Ditsy says, is Siraj a modern day short broad? Is everyone a short broad at the moment? Too inconsistent, but when on song can finish games in a spell. Yes. And I think I might have written about this this week. It is here. I think I did. Um, on one of the school board shows or in one of the articles. Yeah, he's a spree bowler. And spree bowlers are never going to end up with, you know, well, rarely, I should say, end up with really low numbers because everything has to be aligned for them to be working. And if, if it was aligned all the time, no one would ever be able to face them. Um. I don't know if he is too inconsistent. I'm not even sure Stuart Broad was too inconsistent because if you have a Bumrah or a Shami and then you have a Siraj, that's a really good partnership. The same way that Anderson and Broad made sense. Anderson was always going to be on song and occasionally going to be unplayable and Broad could experiment a little bit more at the other end and go for the magic spells. But yeah, I do think that, I don't think they're similar kinds of bowlers, but I do think they're similar in that when... one of them was a batter who became a bowler. The other one was, a, you know, a, a tape ball, rubber ball bowler who learned about cricket balls very late. And I think both of them are, are literally trying to work through their careers, trying to work out how to be on song all the time when it's not as grooved into them as it is for some of the younger players. Younger players, sorry, younger bowlers, you know, more experienced at a younger age. I think I meant that, right? Uh, Aditya says, if you had to pick an all-time test, an ODI 11 based on a player's fielding capability, so their fielding will be their main skill, followed by their batting of the bowler. Who would you pick? Ponting, Simons, Jadeja, Rhodes. Yes. Uh, Ponting, Simons, Jadeja, Rhodes. Uh, you'd have Clive Lloyd, Faf Plessy, Colin Bland. Um, if it's fielding is their main skill, would you look at someone like Roger Harper or Fabian Allen, perhaps? Um what else? Who else would we have in there? Um, I'm trying to think. Who have you got there? Deja Rhodes. Uh, Mark War is someone that I would be very, very interested in. Kyron Pollard would be someone I'd be looking at again. 
who else do I have? I'm trying to think. We just did a Crick Picks that was pretty similar to this at Digio, and I'm trying to remember. Um, if it's just fielding, then Jim Fote might be the sort of player that would come in. Paul Sheehan from Australia is maybe another one that you could do just for fielding. Uh, Herschel Gibbs, uh, A.B. De Villiers. Um, I think that's probably... I don't know if that's 11. We don't have many seam bowlers, though, do we? So if we need to get more wickets with seam, you'd probably bring in Jimmy Anderson, Trent Bolt, Joel Garner. And do we have any spinners in this? So we got to Jay Jeff. We wanted one more spinner. You probably put Warren at slip. But if you want all-round fielding, um, I've got Roger Harper, I suppose. Um, not going to get many test wickets, old Roger. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating way of looking at it. Bloody says, we always hear about getting the approval of all 18 counties when it comes to making any changes in English cricket, but I don't think there is a similar discourse about the BCCI and its state associations. Do the state associations have less voting rights than the English counties? Yeah, all boards are, are run pretty differently, bloody. Um, the, I mean, the, the, usually the, it's kind of like a political block with the BCCI, isn't it? More so than individual teams voting uh, for things. I'd have to go back and have a look at the full system, but you know, that's why Jay Shah is where he is, right? Like a lot of it comes to who is the government at the day, who, you know, who's the most, uh, influential person. I would say most cricket boards now are not run in the way that the ECB is in anyway. So cricket Australia is not run that way. Cricket New Zealand, cricket Ireland off the top of my head. Um, I don't know about the West Indies. So it's that the England way is quite old fashioned, but yeah, my, my memory of the BCCI is that it's a little bit different again, um, but it does kind of go towards the whims of whoever, you know, is the more political or solid um, sort of, so it feels like it's a little bit more leader led, leader dread, I almost said, leader led. Whereas, you know, even in English cricket, if you have a Colin Graves or a Giles Clark, they really struggle to get anything done anyway um, at times, just because they have to go back through everyone else. Um, but yeah, the, the the old way of England doing it, I don't think um, counts anymore. And I don't think that's how the BCCI has done it. But I, to be honest, I haven't looked into their, um, uh, their uh, voting patterns or anything. But my memory is that's not how it works, no. Uh, Addy says, I think you should make a clickbaity video. Well, you've already lost me, but let's see what you're saying. Explaining the misconceptions of Basball and why saying Basball isn't working after a defeat is a dumb, ignorant, reactionary way of looking at things. I think I might have already done this video, Eddie, but probably back when they lost before. Uh, I do understand um, that you have little time, but I think a video like this at this time has the potential to blow up and drive a lot of new traffic to your live stream. Live streams are doing fine. Um, I wouldn't do it on this channel anyway. i do it on, on the main one. Um, yeah, I'm positive I've done this before. Um, but but you're right. It's I think this because this loss brought it out more, because they lost by so much. But the truth is that the way England played, they should have lost by this much a couple of times before. They've probably been lucky not to. They're playing a high-risk form of cricket, right? And so you should actually have... You know, that was the thing with the one-day team. They almost had to train the English media in how to handle their one-day team. They were saying, yeah, we might be bowled out for 120, but we're going to score over 350 a lot of times. And this is the test version of that. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like I've done something like this before, but if I haven't, I'll, I'll have a look at it um, and, and see how I go. I've already done fourth one. Philip says, what are the most famous or noticeable people you have played against in a cricket match? Any memorable moments? Okay. Um, I played in a cricket match where I was the opening bowler and Jeffrey Archer was the umpire. 
and he made this big song and dance about how he knew uh, the rules of cricket really well. And I was like, you mean the laws? Come on, Jeffrey Archer. Um, and, then, um, and then I had to teach him the laws because he didn't know them particularly well. So there's a photo of me online with Jeffrey Archer where I'm dressed in like ye olde cricket. It was like a promotional thing for Wisden and they got me and Sam Collins to dress up like the, the, the cover of the Wisden logo or the old logo, I should say. Um, uh, what else? Who else have we got? Um, Toby Roland Jones. I don't know how famous he is. Um, uh, was it Toby Roland Jones? Mm, I want to say it was Toby Roland Jones. Yeah, Toby Roland Jones dismissed me in a like a charity game bowling off spin and it wasn't even a good ball it was a half tracker and like even he apologized to me and that was really embarrassing i i played against phil defreitas um actually this is a funny story this one i played in a charity game against phil defreitas and i slog swept clipped it nicely it was at the getty ground the wormsley ground where the women um played a nice slog sweep over the top of short mid wicket Called two straight away because I knew it was in the gap. I knew there was a fielder out of deep mid-wicket. but And I all I could see was that the fielder looked like a big dude. So I called two and ran back. And then halfway through, I see this missile of a throw coming in. So I'm like diving to get in. And I'm pretty fast. And, and I'm thinking, how are that? And, and, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a county wicketkeeper who was there. And it's like, do you not know the, sto the stories about John Embry's um, uh rocket arm and it was i didn't even know it was john embry who was out there um so yeah um that th that was one i batted with andy caddick in that game and i remember we were trying to win and andy caddick was smashing the ball everywhere to be fair to him and i was fine against i feel afraid this was bowling spin they had another spinner who was bowling it wasn't embry but someone else who played i think for england and i was fine i, I don't mind facing that but they had a, a guy who just retired and i still can't remember his name but he just retired from county cricket and he was probably high 70s low 80s and I couldn't see the ball. I just couldn't see it to line up. And I was trying to like have no back lift and just drop the ball on the offside to get Andy back on strike. And it, I think he beat me outside. I stumped three balls in a row. And Andy actually told the ball, just ball at the stumps. He's clearly not going to hit this. And I think that went straight through me. Um, so I, I faced Steve Elworthy in a game. And exactly the same. He wasn't quite as quick. But I really have trouble facing tall guys, especially anything over 75 miles an hour. I just don't pick it up. I, I never have. Um, and so he went through me. I think it was the second ball duck. In that game, though, I bowled to Charlotte Edwards, and she actually had, and she, she's, her footwork is so incredible. And um, I didn't get her out. I think Andrew Miller got her out at the other end. But I gave, I, I did actually bowl some really good balls and I took three for that was on the oval. And afterwards, Steve Elworthy came up and go, I didn't actually know you could play cricket. And I was like, thank Christ I bowled well. Cause otherwise, after that innings, he was not going to be thinking I could play cricket. Um, I, at the oval as well, I smashed Darren Goff back over his head twice, once bowling off spin, once bowling medium pace, probably um, for him. I think that's everyone in a game that I could think of. Um, there's probably some others. I played so many charity games and, uh, I've got one about um, the Romford Pele, but, you know, uh, maybe for another time. But those are the majority that I can remember, Philip. I've been lucky, but I haven't played that much cricket, like, in those sorts of games. So I'm I, I think I'm technically a Lord's Taverners member, so I'm supposed to play for them. But I never get back to them. Um, so I've played a lot of games for the Authors 11. And, um, uh, and you know, in that I played against actors and, uh, you know, writers and uh, you know, sort of other notable English celebrities at times. Um, 
I'm trying to think. You'd, and when I used to play for Lord Taverners, you would quite often you would play with you know sort of celebrities and people who run you know real estate TV shows and things like that. Um, oh, sorry. And also, I played a bunch of games against the England women. I want to say around 2008, 2009. Um, I hit the winning runs off Jenny Gunn in a game. Bit of an outside edge, for being honest. And I'd already run out Anya Shrubsole, just absolutely burnt her. And I can't remember who it ne- was now. I think it might have been Marsh, who I just couldn't bowl to her. And she just kept coming down the wicket and smashing me back over um, my head for six. And um, Claire Taylor um, <laughs> coming down and going, Jared, just bowl quicker. I am very slow legs, but uh, those are the ones off the top of my head anyway. Um, but yeah, I still remember the dive off John Embry. Uh, oh, we've done this one. Ellie says, recently Hafiz mentioned that some of the Pakistani players are out of form, even in T20s, because they're not playing first class or longer a form of cricket. How important is playing first class cricket to excel in T20s? It's, I think it's about reps. It's about competitive reps, I think. You know, in T20 cricket, you can go through three months where you just don't face that many balls in a live game situation. Get run out a couple of times, you bat down the order, um, you pick up a niggle. I think it's as much about that as anything else. But the the older West Indian players, when they started to age out, did say that they thought that the younger players were going to struggle because they hadn't played enough first-class cricket. I know it's something that Nicholas Puran really worried about because he wasn't playing any first-class cricket. And he tried to... That's probably why he does these ridiculous seven-hour net sessions and everything, um, where he's the last player. But I do think there was a big part of uh, that was a big part of his thinking on that. Um, so you, yeah, I think Hafiz is right. I also think that where do you fit it in, right? And how do you work it out? But you know, facing a bowler in a game it grooves your eyes and your feet and your hands. So when you get into T Twenty cricket, you just have to think about the tactics a little bit more. Abhinav says, if I recall, you have sometimes expect hope for a system in which cricket has uh, with an unlimited number of substitutes. Yeah, probably not unlimited, but that would be great, though. If you had an NFL team, was it 45 people rock up? Only 11 on the field, lads. Uh, But wouldn't this further tilt the game towards the top three teams? And associate nations would be especially hurt by this as they are unlikely to have a deep bench. I've been asked about this a few times. It's not, I mean, whether it's international or not, it's going to happen. And it's probably more likely to happen in franchise cricket. But let's talk about it from the international point of view. The game's already tilted towards them. They win in, they win in all the World Cups anyway. Um, you know, outside of New Zealand's World Test Championship, you know, India, Australia, and England are already the best three teams. But there are, there are um, associate teams who have overlaps in similar positions that cause them problems as well, where this would actually be quite handy for them. Um, it would allow them to have a flexibility and be smarter strategically at times uh, and catch some of the other teams. At the moment, you can't be that smart strategically within a game, right? You you, you can't make all these random decisions because you have the 11 that you've picked and that's what you have to go with. So I think str- strategy would actually change quite a bit and that is a, a place where the other teams can go. Um, but it doesn't matter anyway. It's not about which teams it helps and which teams it doesn't help. It's about a couple of key things. One is that the in- injuries as they currently exist in, in cricket, I don't think is a sustainable model going into the future, that if you get two players who are injured and they can't compete in the rest of the game and they don't happen to be hit in the head, um, you're playing nine men versus 11. I just don't think that's a realistic model to go ahead with. And secondly, I do think cricket will go in certain in, in certain parts of cricket certainly will go down the idea of we want the best batters up against the best bowlers 
And the way to do that is substitution. Uh, James says, with comments like Ben Duckett's about wanting credit for the opposition teams batting aggressively, has Kool-Aid reached out to the ECB about sponsorship? I mean, I have mentioned Kool-Aid quite a bit. Does everyone know the whole story of the Kool-Aid, actually? Because it's it's really dark and we use it casually. Um, uh, it, so it's about the um, Jonestown massacre and how they mixed in poison into the Kool-Aid because they knew they were going to get wrangled by the authorities and they wanted as many people to commit suicide as possible um, and made them literally drink the Kool-Aid. It's a dark, dark story. Um, I've never felt comfortable drinking Kool-Aid ever since. I think I've got that right. I think I've got the, the basic details of that correct. Um, uh, oh, he's got, God, James has got into it, into rural Guyana to establish Spaztown. So, um, but yes, I, I, I think what, I, I think the majority of what England say at the moment is for the England dressing room and it doesn't actually transfer over. And so you almost have to just ignore it. But obviously we're not going to, but they're only saying things for themselves. And so it is a very different situation than we've ever seen in cricket before. William says, one of my favorite videos of yours is historic T2011. I'm really disappointed by the way that other people didn't like that. I absolutely love making that video. Uh, who would you add to the team if you had the IPL impact sub rule? Ooh. A very good question. Hmm. Maybe someone like Tom Richardson, like the first proper fast bowler, fast bowler, you know, run in and hit the wicket type of guy. Um, not thought of very much in these day, in this day and age. Um, but just a, you know, fantastic, uh, cricketer in his era. I think he probably gets, he, he might be someone who would bring in. Wasn't Barry might be another one. Um, those are the two kind of off the top of my head that I think would be interesting. Um, I'd have, I'm trying to think of anyone else we might've missed. Let's have a quick break and I'll go through the comments on the YouTube and we'll see if there is anything else here to talk about. I am Jared Kimber and this is The Wagon Wheel. All right, welcome back. I see there's some questions about Ray Parler. I'm going to have to answer in a little bit. But let's get to the Super Chats first. Um, so guys says, can you imagine if cricket, can you imagine cricket if bowlers got their own balls like batters have their own bats? How interesting would that be? How much would it change the game? I've got a feeling that Jofra Archer, the England players were really upset at him because he always had his own ball. And it, it used to be a thing, you know, a few years ago of like bowlers turning up to the nets for their own balls. And I reckon Darren Goff might have done it. He might have had, a couple of old balls, like one that was kind of wasn't going to do anything for him. Another one he had set up for reverse. I've, I've, I might be making that up. Uh, but yeah, it would be crazy if you could turn up with your own ball. There was a ball called Tiflex a couple of years ago, um, Sega, where, where it was um, uh, Tiflex got absolutely screwed over. ECB wanted a ball that was going to do more. Of all the places that wanted a ball that was going to do more, it's phenomenal. And so Tiflex made a ball with heaps of lacquer on it and no one made any runs for about I think, I think it was in the second division. Um, no one made any runs that year. Um, and so the things that you could do with that and like, you know, so at one end you've got, I don't know, Boomer with the ball. He's been working on to reverse. Um, and at the other end you've got uh, Ashwin um, uh, uh, with, with a rock hard uh, ball with extra lacquer on it so he can skid it around for a little bit and then knock the lacquer off and, and keep the ball harder for longer so he gets more spin and bounce. I mean, you could have all sorts of fun, right? be great i mean it's never gonna happen but why not hi jared could india beat the 80s west indies and the 2000s 
uh, Australia, in India. Some of, I mean, we just went back and saw Courtney Walsh has an average of 20.5 or whatever in Asia. It's worth remembering how good some of those West Indian bowlers were. I just think you'd struggle to beat India and Asia without any spin bowling anymore, though. Um, so I think they would be in trouble. And Australia, you know, Shane Warne just didn't take wickets in India, right? So I don't think so. Um, India, West Indies would be a really interesting one. I like the way they played the Indian spinners. And, you know, Clive, oh, well, Clive Lloyd's probably not the 80s, is he? Um, but let's say you, you had Clive Lloyd. Like, Clive Lloyd, I think, has the most runs ever by a batter in India. Uh, non non Indian batter in India, so he, they he would be very very interesting. I think that's fair to say, but I just think without a proper spinner, you would struggle to be consistently good. Very different in that era when India just wasn't as strong. But I I can't imagine that we beat them. And Australia, I mean McGrath was fantastic. You would have Lee still missing that all rounder as well. Um, so the bowlers just get tired. That was, I think that was one of Australia's big problems in, in, um, in India specifically. I'm, and I'm talking about the flat old Indian wickets. They just got tired because um, they didn't have any real backup other than, you know, Mark Wall's off spin or anything. Like, they didn't have any frontline um, options. Uh, and that might be a problem with the West Indies as well, especially if you couldn't get away with, like, eight-minute overs. Sega says, Jadeja takes a huge stride to place forward defense against the spinners. Why don't we see any other batters do the same, especially in India? DRS, that's why it's changed. Um, I think with him, he plays kind of inside the ball a little bit. And so, you know, Daryl Mitchell is probably another player who does that a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, DRS is what has changed that. That's why players don't do it anymore. It's The further your hands are, from your eyes, the less likely you are to middle the ball, more likely it is to hit your pad in that situation. And these days, umpires will give it out. That's the big difference. That is that is what has changed in cricket and in techniques against spin. You know, we 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 had a position. If you think about it, the four best spinners of the eighties and nineties. I think I've got this right. But the four best spinners of the eighties and nineties are three leg spinners and an off spinner who basically bowls wrist spin. Almost it, since DRS has come in, and I don't just mean DRS, but the fact that umpires started to give LBWs on the front foot and everything else, finger spinners have really started to dominate a lot more. And that is, it's so much easier for a finger spinner to skid the ball on straight, um, you know, and, and to really attack one spot of the wicket for DRS than it is for a wrist spinner, which is why wrist spinners have buggered off to T20 cricket and finger spinners are the majority of the spinners we see in international cricket at the moment. And I think that's the change. Soham says, to me, Kale Roll doesn't have any major technical flaws and has more than enough shots. I generally feel he's more talented than Coley and Kane. So his performance baffles me. I don't think he's more talented than Coley and Kane. I think mentally, he doesn't have their belief. And occasionally what that means is, from a technical point of view, is I think sometimes he plays kinds of half shots. I don't think Coley and Kane ever play half shots. Kane is just like, I'm going to play every ball under my eyes and we'll see how that goes. And I think Coley believes in his ability and his technique to, you know, a huge level, which allows him to always be, um, put pressure back on the bowlers. And I think if you look at KL, you'll see a player who, sometimes I watch him and I think he doesn't know how good he is. And he sort of half commits to shots. So, 
I would, if you're looking for a reason why he, he, his record doesn't quite replicate the others, I would look there. But I don't think he's as solid technically as either of those players either, even, even within that. I think he's just a little bit, and that might be the mindset as well, but I think he's just a little bit more caught. He gets caught between two methods, whereas I think with Coley and, and Kane, they have their method and they're going to use it everywhere in the world and it should work for them. Interesting question, though. Shrikant says, all-time top six post-1900 with test averages under 45. <laughs> this is good, Shrikant. I like this. Someone paying me to ask this question is fantastic. Victor Trumper, Graham Gooch, Colin Cowdery, Mark Walk, uh, Gundapa Vishwanath, and David Gower. Are you missing Aravinda De Silva from this list? Who else? What was Clem Hill's average as well would be another one that I would be fascinated in. Cullinan, probably someone. I don't know where his average ended up. I'm trying to think if there's any. There are probably a couple more openers too. What does Glenn Turner's average end up as? Um, I think you'll find yourself a couple of good op openers um, uh, just because of the nature of opening, especially outside of Asia. You're probably finding yourself a couple of good openers. But this is a very strong list. List. I mean, I think, you know, we're obviously we're doing the, the project on the best test batters of all time. Like, no, Gower was probably the only one that has, oh, Gower and Gooch, actually, that have a, a realistic, oh, and Trumper. It's a Gower, Gooch, and Trumper. So Trumper's record for his era is really strong. Plus, if you factor in his strike rate, he probably has to be in the top 50 batters of all time. Gooch's second half of his career is about as strong as anyone other than Imran Khan's. Um, Jimmy Anderson, right? Maybe Harath well, didn't even have a first half of his career. Um, Mark War is kind of maybe that Aravinda de Silva type player who, if he was motivated all the time, would have been fantastic. In fact, I've just done a podcast. Here we go. I've just done a podcast with Kumar Sankakara about batting, and he talks about Aravinda de Silva not always being motivated. And he tells, the, I'm not going to tell the story because it's such a brilliant story. Um, which, and it's just still, it's just, if this story is not true, I'll be the saddest man in the world because it's a fantastic story. But he talks about that. And, and I suppose you could put Gower in that as well. In fact, I should probably try and talk to Gower for my book, see if I can get him to chat about that um, as well. I've got Mark Ward's going to be chatting to me in my book. Um, as um, also, um, so it, it's an interesting list. There's so much talent in this list that you've just put up here, and when we look back on it, a lot of these guys are, you know, uh, you know, Vishvana. I was thinking about him the other day. Of it's so rare when you talk to an Indian player, you know, before 1990 that his name just doesn't come up. They just rate him so highly, and occasionally foreign, you know, overseas players as well, and yet it doesn't translate it didn't translate to a big average um and most of these players when you look back on it probably just didn't have what they needed um and it says what's your prediction for this india england series i know 4-1 uh, uh, the thing was with, with basketball is it even worth making a prediction England, if England won 3-2 i would be shocked obviously and i would be spending a lot of time trying to work out how it happened but also like, I kind of feel like it could happen, but I think 4-1 is more likely. I almost think the middle ground of them winning or losing, um, uh, sorry, them losing 3-2 is like the least likely. Um, but maybe that is the most likely. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> of England still find a way to steal a test. I don't think there's going to be a draw in this series unless 
I have misheard the tea leaves on what the last two wickets are likely to be. Thank you, Anish. Raul says, how good would Gordon Greenwich and Desmond Haynes? Where would they rank as an opening pair all time? Oh, I've never really gone through the best opening pairs of all time. They'd be certainly top 10 without any doubt. I think if you look at Desmond Haynes, a lot of his um, reputation actually comes from, and, and he could be on that list as well, by the way, of batters with an average under 45. Um, a lot of his reputation probably comes from the fact that he was one of the first players to work out ODI cricket. So he averages over 40 in ODI and test cricket. I think his ODI, his test record record's still really good, but it's probably more West Indian great rather than all-time great. Gordon Greenwich, I think, is um, uh, probably... Um, it doesn't... How have I stuffed this up? Uh, Gordon Greenwich, I think the impact of his runs and the way that he scored them probably has him in that list of probably all-time great openers. Again, he averaged under 45 as well. He wasn't on your list, um, whose name I've now forgotten from a moment ago. Um, I would have him on that list as well. Um, and I, But it was also fantastic in ODI cricket uh, as well. So the combination of the two of them, even though they both averaged low to mid-40s, I think if the impact that they had of both being both being ability to score big um, and to take the game away from you um, and everything else, I think probably has them quite high. But individually, you could make the argument that neither is a genuine all-time great, although Greenwich is certainly in the conversation. And I know that we have Greenwich quite high in our in our list. Oh, I, mean, I won't answer that because we just talked about chaos batting. Ben says, have you found working with Bumble on TalkSport? Yeah, so I think this would be about the third time I reckon I've worked with Bumble before, off the top of my head. Um, not including little things that he's done for uh, for Crick Info um, at times. Uh, he's a you know he's a, a, a just a natural orator. So sometimes I think when you're working with Bumble, if you can see he's about to go on one, you have to just pull yourself back and not get in his way, which is probably not one of my best skills. I'm very good at it when I'm interviewing someone, but it's harder when you're in a conversation because you're like, oh, that makes me think of this. So I'm going to, and with, with Bumble, sometimes it's better to do that. And I'm also probably a better broadcaster now in that I understand how to stoke him to get him to do that and also to add to it in a small way that it will let him going, uh, keep going. He's just such a natural, that sort of stuff. What I found with Bumble from the first time I worked with him, which was would have been 2017, I think for the Champions Trophy, through to now is Bumble is, once something enters his head, he has to say it. So if you can see that something is coming, you can ask a question, he's going to answer something else. Your best bet is to go with him rather than go against him. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I've, I've been lucky to work with a lot of great broadcasters in my time, you know, Daniel Norcross and, you know, Neil Manthorpe. Jonathan Agnew is a great broadcaster as well. Um, uh, you know, so, um, someone like Ali Oldroyd. There's a lot of people who are just like really natural broadcasters um, and Bumble's right there, but he's then different because he's also personality led. So it is a very, very, um, uh, it, you have to allow him space to be Bumble, I suppose is the best way. But love the guy, you know, I've, as I said, I've known him for, for quite a long time. We're not cl massively close or anything, but we always get on pretty well. Um, and uh, I, when you're working with a broadcaster like that, it just makes your job easier because I kind of just have to make sure I'm keeping things ticking over, waiting for Bumble to be Bumble. And that's such a, you know, 
uh, it means that I'm when I'm saying stuff, I'm saying it because it matters or because it's interesting rather than sometimes on radio you have to say stuff because no one's talking. Uh, Samit says, I think this was Super Chat as well, so thank you, Samit. Your podcast inspired me to check out Proctor on YouTube. Such a unique action with open chest and wrong foot. And those hooping in-swingers, yeah. Did his action enable him to bowl those magnificent in-swingers? Yeah, I would say it's 100%. The way he he stepped, it was almost like an in-swing-led action. Um, It certainly gave him incredible heat. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that he could bowl around the wicket in-swingers to a right-hander, which generally you only get, well, some, I know Megan Shute was looking into that for a while, but you generally only get that in club cricket. That's the sort of skill that Mike Proctor had. Um, or well, so the uh, skills unfair. I mean, he did have the skill because you still have to be. But it's the unique action that allowed him to be able to get that. Um, it must have been a nightmare to play. What an incredibly talented player he was. Uh, Rec says, "How hard is it for England players to play a Test match at peak Indian summer, say in July?" <coughs> well, they're never going to do that because they'll be playing in their own. There are. It doesn't really matter where you come from. I remember Ed Cowan telling me once that I was saying, God, it must be hard for you guys playing in the sun. And he goes, it's hard for the Indians too. Like it's, once you get to over 35 degrees or, you know, mass, maximum humidity in somewhere like Sri Lanka, um, it's just hard for everyone. And certain people can play with it. I remember talking to, I want to say Mark Butcher and I reckon Kevin Peterson about this once because they both felt when they were in Asia, they had to get their runs as quickly as possible at times just because they knew they couldn't stand out there any longer. Um, so that was certainly an issue, um, with global warming, there are now 40 degree days in England. There was a, there was a game in Cardiff this year where, um, Daryl Mitchell was struggling with heat, you know, so players are uh, sadly around the world as we slowly die as a planet. Um, it makes it easier for players to handle the heat because they get used to it because they play in it more often, but yeah, no, it's hard for, you know, for players from New Zealand and, and England those are probably the only two, on oh, no, Ireland, um, to play in those conditions because it's just not a natural thing for them to do. I mean, it's hard for Hobart players born and bred to probably play in some of those conditions as well. It would be hard for a player born in the north of England, to, uh, north of India, you know, um, or it, it, someone who maybe grew up in you know, the mountains around Kandy um, in Sri Lanka. Like, you know, if you're not used to it, it's a it's a thing. Um. Somak says, you played Ray Parler. Yes, yeah, so, so I played a charity game against Ray Parler. I was a wicketkeeper, and he came out, and obviously, like, it was a big deal that he was in this game. It wasn't like there was a big crowd or anything, but it was a big deal to have him playing. It was his first ever game of cricket. And I think he'd been told that I knew a little bit of cricket, so I'd help him out, because he'd never played. And um, the first ball, my captain, Patrick Kidd, Terrible cricketer, Patrick Kidd. <laughs> like, re- re- so it was a big deal for him to bowl to Ray Parler. And then Ray Parler danced down the wicket and missed the ball. And I took the ball. And as I went to take the bails off, I was like, I sorry, second ball. Because first ball, you couldn't go out. That's right. So it was second ball. And as I went to take the bails off, I was like, I can't do this. Like, it's just unfair to poor Ray Parler. Like, he's, you know, and it's unfair to everyone who is wanting to watch him and wants him to do well. So I didn't take the bails off. And it's probably the only time in my life I've ever been that nice to anyone. And it was a real reflex thing of, oh, I can't stump him. It'd be like if you had like a four-year-old playing or, you know, or a, a woman playing in her first game or um, some person that you knew really, really well who wanted to play. You know, it was just like, you don't want to ruin that. Give them a couple of balls was my thinking. And he missed his first one and he should have been out of his second one. He may have even been bowled off his first ball, if I remember. And so I did that. 
And then he smashed the ball everywhere. <laughs> it was a real bottom hand. It was almost like he was playing tennis. But we had spinners on. It was a really slow wicket. So he, I think his athletic brain sort of kicked in. He was like, well, if the ball is bowled here, it's going to sit up and I can just wait for it. And he started whacking the ball everywhere. And I and like like my captain was already angry at me. The rest of the team's like, did you really have to allow Ray, Ray Parler to make all these runs? Um, but look, it was good fun. And I remember I remember this actually somewhat um, uh, after the game, we all went back to the pub to have a drink and Ray went out of his way to bring me over a beer. Like, just like to thank me because he knew what I'd done. Um, and so I remember that. And I, here's the important thing that you all need to know is I didn't know who Ray Parler was before that day. <laughs> and really until after I didn't realize that he was the Romford Pele and he was a big deal in football. And I think we might've like worked together on TalkSport um, years later, but I don't, um, uh, I don't know if I've ever been on one of the shows he's been on, but uh, he was a lovely guy. Really, you know, uh, me and him chatted about professional sport afterwards and everything. And um, I'm still a little bit upset because it was a perfect thumping. Like I took it, like I had the right leg come out, took it at the hip, came straight across. Like I nailed it, except for the fact I didn't take the bails off. Segar says, is the Troy Johnson catch the best we've ever seen? Oh my God. What was the Troy Johnson catch? Um... Oh, the Super Smash one. Um, I don't know. Cricket catches are weird, aren't they? Because, you know, we have other catches. We have other catches at times that are incredible as well in different ways. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's up there, isn't it? I, I don't know. I don't know exactly where to put it at the end. So you go. It's a, it's a fantastic question. I don't know if I can answer it perfectly for you. Um, just because I think of some of the slip sketches I've seen, which don't look as good athletically as Troy Johnson's, but are incredible. There's also, how do you factor in Steve War's catch or, or Sobers, who both apparently took very similar catches to this before? Steve War with a sight, a sight screen at the MCG. Um, but they didn't have the dive and then the throw back to someone else. It wasn't even an option for them. Um, how do you take you know, some of the great one-handed catches when people are uh, out of position on the boundary and everything else? Um, but yeah, Troy Johnson's catch, for those who haven't seen it, he's running back with the flight. He takes the catch, dives, and then has to throw the ball back as he's rolling over towards the boundary. It's fantastic. And then he also has to find the player. Um, I mean, maybe all things considered, it's one of the greatest catches of all time. Um but it's that's a such a tricky question to answer. Um, Anish says recently saw Na NASA criticizing England players on Sky, but it really happens in Indian cricket where ex cricketers uh, criticize players on BCCI or TV. I think the main reason is, if I'm not mistaken, the BCCI still runs the um, broadcast. Um, we have seen uh, the West Indies one was one where I remember where Mike Holding was, but was. I can't remember if he was told not to criticize the players anymore or was told if he did, he wouldn't work anymore, but he lost his work in the West Indies. It's a really, it's a, it's an interesting balancing act that you have to play, right? Um, you know, we saw Harsha Bogle have to interview Enshrini Vassan during the World Cup in 2015 when Shrini was involved in all sorts of things, right? And Harsha had to do the puff piece because that's the video that Shrini would, or the interview that Shrini would go and Harsha gets sla slandered when Harsha would probably love to have Shrini in front of him for an hour and, and grill him. Um, so, yeah, you, you do get situations like that, if we're being honest. Um, 
the boards are smarter now than ever before that they want to control. And, and India, I think India was close to the first board who worked this out. They want to control what goes out there and how the game is marketed. And obviously we would rather that didn't happen. But the, the, even when it isn't, even when it isn't independent, um, uh, sorry, even when it is independent, there's always a relationship between boards and TV. They just can't not be. And so I can understand why fans get frustrated. I probably was for many years. I think if you go back and read my old cricket with ball stuff, I was really frustrated with things that were said at times. Um, but that's where we are. And I actually think commentary will become more biased. Um, towards the boards or, you know, towards home teams at times because um, th those relationships between all those groups are just so strong and it's how things work. So I, I can't see that going away, if we're being honest. I, I know that, you know, I've been involved with some business stuff, of course, um, that you got some of you guys will know things with 99.94 and, you know, trying to put something together again at the moment and just my own stuff. When I'm obviously fiercely critical of many things and it causes me issues with getting press accreditation, with getting into grounds, with sorting issues out. That's when that's when it causes me problems. When something goes wrong, that no one wants to bend over to help me. And I get that. I've probably slagged off one of their friends recently, if it's a, someone who works for a cricket board. Um, and that's not even taking into the cricket stuff um, into it. So, look, it, it is, I don't think it's going away. Um, England is quite different, but, I tell you what, when we did Death of a Gentleman, Anish, I don't remember the Sky team rushing um, to mention it on air. I think we Death of a Gentleman literally was selling out cinemas and was a cricket film. And if I remember correctly, it was mentioned once on Sky that summer. And of course, I have an interest in this because I made the film. And so I was noticing. Um, the same with Duncan Stone's book about, you know, the class um, part of cricket and, and everything else. What's it called? Different. Sorry, Duncan, I've forgotten. But Duncan Stone Cricket Book, I'm sure if you look it up. Again, those books were not mentioned quite a bit on 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 Sky, um, and everyone knows about that book. Like it's quite a well known book within cricket. I think it won a bunch of awards and everything. Um, so there are still elements that they won't do, but they do criticize players. You are right. I, I think, especially after what happened to Harsha, um, was it the twenty sixteen World Cup? Uh, my memory is it would. Be, it would be very hard. Simon Dool's gone through this at times because Simon Dool, he has to walk the line and occasionally Simon Dool says what he says and we, as we can all imagine, it doesn't always go down brilliantly with, with the people that he has said it about and it does cause issues. It's a tricky thing to do. I'm lucky in radio, you don't get it as much. They kind of just shrug off. I know there are certainly some players who've been really upset with what I said on radio, but I don't think it's, ever come to a point where it will affect my work or affect the right deals, right? There are some TVs where that is the case, right? For the, It might affect someone's work and it might affect the right deals going ahead. Um, you know, I remember when I worked for Crick Info, there was a particular article they asked me to write and I wrote it and they liked it and they were going to publish it. And then afterwards they were feeling a little bit uncomfortable because I'd written about an issue that was kind of about rights issues when ESPN were going to be going up for a package and they thought that my article would be held against them when they were bidding, right? It's the only article that was ever 
knocked on the head from Crick Info that wasn't like, oh, we just don't like this. Right? Or or you wrote this, but it's terrible. We don't want to put it up. Or we fundamentally disagree with your point here about this player. Right. And even then I I probably only had one or two. Right. But that was the that other thing was the only one I ever had. But they were thinking about it as a rights a, a future I, I think future, but maybe current. I can't remember what the situation was. But they were thinking about it as a rights partner. Right. Of we don't want to be involved in this. Um and it was more hilarious in that case because they asked me to write it and then I spent weeks on it and then they didn't do anything with it. But, you know, the point being that you have to deal with that in the media all the time, some of it you can see. And I think what you're talking about there, Anish, is the bit you could see. So quite often you can't see it. Anyway, that's me. That's done. I'm, I'm over. Um, this has been uh, The Wagon Wheel. I am Jared Kimber and will continue to be him for quite some time. I will be back very, very shortly with many, many other things. As I said, we've got the Kuma um, uh, podcast. We've got, uh, I've got one with Matt Roller as well. If you, so if you're on this channel, go over and check out some of the Red Inca podcasts. They used to get massive hits, but now the, all the lives get all the hits. Um, but go and check out some of the, the uh, podcasts as well. But you've got one with Matt Roller, one with Kuma Sankikara coming that will probably get hits for it. Um, and also one with um, Danielle McGehee, the trans cricketer, uh, who the ICC changed the regula- regulations on. Yeah, regulations is what I mean to say. Um, so we've got some good ones, but there's some really, uh, we did a really good one with Srinath recently about that period in the T20 um, season when everyone has a different league playing at the same time. Uh, definitely worth uh, going out and checking that. But I'm Jared Kimber, Wagon Wheel. See you soon. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you make any content, Minbo Pro is the tool for you. Take your long format content and cut it and slice it for social media. This AI-inspired weapon will turn your one piece of work into so many clips. Try Minbo.pro now.